I'm thrilled to be able to introduce Karen B. Phillips, who, uh, if somebody could be said to be a bit of a polymath, I would say that she is, looking at her biog. Um, but she's going to introduce herself more, but it's fascinating to hear about the different sectors and elements that she's been involved with, the design work, the marketing, but also some of those international links that she's looking at developing. So I'm really thrilled that she's going to be talking to us this afternoon. Can everyone hear me now? Okay, everything I am, I'm not doing at the moment. I'm a writer and an investigation journalist. I keep my mouth shut and I don't write. I um, am not very material and I desperately try to get money for the poorest people in the world. So I'm not actually interested in design because I think it's a terribly abused word that doesn't mean anything but to draw. And basically, I think we should all remember that manufactura means made by hand in Latin. So basically, having said that, having advised some, something like a couple of thousand uh, designers, craftspeople, organizations, and institutions with what to do or not to do in order to establish themselves in business, I'm now thwarting under the onus that I have to do that myself. And everything I said, I have to now practice. And I go five steps forward and seven steps backwards. And uh, it's, it's a tough lesson, and it will probably make me a little bit more humble in what I say to others they should do or not do. And Taslim is grinning here because, and Michael knows that because uh, we worked at the Royal College together at one stage. I've also taken for my vanity and big-headedness and thinking I knew it all, I've taken on one of the most difficult tasks of all, which is to produce a luxury brand and a luxury product out of indigenous, wonderful craft skills of the poorest of the poor. Country I'm working is French-speaking, and um, it is one of the 20th poorest countries in the world. And it also has, uh, it is the largest cotton exporter in Africa, seven largest in the world, and not even 1% of the cotton gets uh, validated there, and it has more than 100,000 traditional weavers. It's a dying skill, unemployed with less than a dollar a day. So I won't keep you long. I'll just run you through what you see there. It's a rather long presentation. So um, I ha also have a pet fetishy hatred against white third-rate consultants ending up in any of these skilled countries and advising people what to do and not to do. And then people who can do the most magnificent uh, weaving, basket weaving, leather work, whatever, are asked to produce this. This is a South African company, and everything you see there, it's a business card holder, uh, highlighted as a corporate gift. Everything you see there is brand new. It has nothing to do with reuse or recycled. comes in huge containers, hanging line from China. So is this craft or is this craft? This um, is hand-woven. I mean, it's, it's this now because it comes from our fields and our tribe villages. Is hand-grown, hand-cultivated cotton, the white gold of West Africa. Every plant is loved, every plant reacts, unless it doesn't get any water. Uh, it produces snowy white cotton. The women uh, card it, spin it for the little girls helping. And uh, the man, because traditional weaving is a man's job, weave it, and then the tailors make it. So this is a priceless product. All the things you see, with the exception of the curtains, are hand-spun. 
uh, the curtains are machine spun, but we can also do wall with this, but not on big looms, and everything, everything there is 100% made by hand. Right. So, uh, what means marketing indigenous cultural identities? Then we have, we had the day of the so-called indigenous people, whatever that means, because we're all indigenous where we come from, and um, they, UNESCO now urges us to create a card of indigenous people who actually start thinking about intellectual poverty. Um, indigenous peoples face many challenges in maintaining their identity, traditions, and customs, and their cultural contributions are at times exploited and commercialized, witness the elephant cardholder, with little or no recognition. Mr. Ben said in a message to mark the International Day of the Indigenous People, we call these days, we practitioners, we call these days the days of the reunionists, because all they do is go from one conference to another and talk to each other, and the most incomprehensible academic language. So indigenous crafts, developing indigenous talent or respecting cultural heritage. Is this price $8? You don't even know what type of mask it is. It's a sacred mask. You know, all masks in Africa have deep, profound religious meaning. Now they're just wall decorations. Look at this. This was a bric-a-brac market in, I called it the Forgotten Gods in New York. This is actually India. I mean, a few African gods and a few Chinese gods caught in between there, as you can see. I mean, what it has to do in India, I do not know. Uh, this is the largest crafts fair in Burkina Faso in West Africa, the CIO. And this is what they do. They eat and they dance. On the left-hand side, you see the stands. On the right-hand side top, you see a stand. I don't think you could discover anything indigenous there. But what is indigenous is the plantain, and it's the dancing, and it's the shaking of the bottom. So there we go, the largest West African crafts fair. And having said that, all these dances have a profound ritual meaning as well and aren't just there for the lecturers, white consultants, and tourists to have a look at how black women shake their bodies. Um, this is what they sell which is actually quite amazing. Now, if you look, um, if you look at the uh, bottom part with this uh, little napkin, the whole of Africa didn't know tablecloth, and they didn't stitch, and they didn't embroider, and all of these materials are imported, including the synthetically dyed. And to the end of the days, these young women will actually embroider little men on little donkeys with little hats and bare-breasted women carrying the baskets to market because on, for 24, and then they sell it to well-meaning people, and the presidents give it away as a governmental gift, which will end up in the cabinet of horrors with our ambassadors. Um, this little um, motorbike there is actually, I saw when it arrived, it arrived with uh, the... Chinese hining line symbols on it, same as the balaphones, the xylophones, and the artisanal market in Ouagadougou. They were tipped out of the um, out of the baskets, and they were sold as recycled. They are not recycled; they're brand new. And a lot of children in China and India cut their fingers off with that. So never believe recycling. There is no water in Africa to wash the dirty plastic bags, and there is no water in Africa to wash off the juices. So this is another statement of our little um, ambassador of the uh, People's Day, Indigenous Peoples. We see their creativity and innovations in the arts, literature, and the sciences, noting that those contributions were highlighted. I mean, you can read it yourself. So what is indigenous design? What we've seen before? 
In reality, we use the indigenous skills and cultural heritage of unknown individuals by degrading their cultural heritage and individual identities. These hands, no one knows whose hands they are, but they make the most beautiful baskets, don't they? And if we put this into a museum, let's say we put a million of those into the Tate more than, it would be a spectacular, spectacular exhibition. Now here it is in a little bazaar somewhere in Ethiopia, and um, that's it. You know, no one knows who made them. It's all imported because they don't have raffia, because sinking water tables kills the reeds. The colors are all acrylic. There are no colors like that in the natural dyes in the whole of West Africa or Africa. So that's it. And they're probably made in Indonesia. Here are two people who actually show their, uh, their bowls again. Nothing to do, uh, they're not even from the same people, these two, you see it in their physiognomy. And they're just, their labor, their basket weaving labor. They do not come from generations of basket weavers. They've been taught to weave baskets, they have been given the designs, they're given the acrylically dyed raffia, or the coated telephone wire, which is non-biodegradable when everything is imported. So, I mean, it's nothing indigenous culture or whatever about it, like those. They're not ecological, they're not indigenous, and they're imported plastic-coated wire, and they're non-biodegradable, so why buy them? Fair trade, um, at the utmost, these key rings were, uh, the workers were given five cents. Uh, in the online catalog, that cost $2.20, 17 rand. It's the same company that we had with the elephant. This is how the trade fairs now look. So it's a mass-manufactured craft all over the world. This is then how the stands look like from the, um, from the so-called crafts countries. And if you look a little bit closer, you won't find much cultural heritage in either of them. Another one of those, a lot of it mass-produced. When I go to China, I see the Shenzhen, the black traders in Shenzhen coming out with the little, uh, you know, suitcases and they have the models or the copies that they want to be copied in China. This is a stall crafts market in Sierra Leone. Uh, again, very little of that has any indigenous value. It's all made and imported from somewhere else. Or they're taught to do it. Sahakunda Crafts Mela um, had a lot of support. Uh, and you know, this furniture I don't think is particularly northern Indian or particularly cultural heritage. So, do we have a global world of trinkets or a national cultural heritage? Well, this is interesting. This is a university summer games in Kazan, 27th. And if you look at what the Kazanese consider a uh, indigenous craft situation on the right-hand side. Um, this is Roma Campus Center Union College, very laudable actually. They support a hospital in uh, South Africa, where women and children with AIDS, HIV positive, are given shelter and help. And as most of these items come from Indonesia, whatever, whatever, there's no way anyone can tell where these things come from because they're probably bought uh, from a trading uh, distribution company. Milan, and now, now cometh the way we present these things because the merchanting and marketing advantage we have over all these nations we have just seen is the way we present them. Maybe the same items, but now have a look at that. Thailand. That was Milan. Milan last year, the Thais are making a huge effort to promote the wonderful craft skills, and it is made by hand, so the hand is everywhere. That's a curator, and it does look different, doesn't it? 
And this is Karlsruhe, a fair called Unique, actually with an E up front, because the other one they can't do again. If you saw a lot of these products in a market store, you wouldn't see them, but the way they are presented, of course, they look totally different. So does an object change its meaning, its importance, its beauty, because it isn't cramped into a trader's stall? And this is the project I'm involved in. So it's actually my project, blue-eyed as I was, I thought it's easy. Um, I started this in 2006, and I very quickly realized, called the land of incorruptible man, or rather just have the riots there, President has an airplane waiting next to his house to take him out in case of need. Um, this is why I said I suffocate with what I want to write. I can't because I would be out of the country. Very small country, 62 languages. The national language, 60% are Mosse. Moray has been transcribed and is being taught. But most people in the rural areas don't understand or read or write any of their own language, uh, any of the foreign languages, and they don't read and write their own. It's oral history, and if the last Turkish speaker dies, then his history dies unless a Western researcher has previously come and recorded it. And that, of course, depends on what the translators are able to communicate. So African history for 300 years has been written by the white men, not always very well. Um, one of the poorest countries, the tough journey back, going back to go forward. So when I started it, I thought, great, I take the weavers and we start weaving and we do something else. Well, I had to realize that if they don't have money to buy seeds, to grow cotton, the cotton they buy or they get is the worst possible cotton and you don't spin and you don't weave good products with the worst cotton. So back I had, the challenge was Masters of the craft deserve more than a dollar a day. They're all qualifiers unqualified because they can't sit European examens. A sustainable way of life must be rehabilitated. An ancient skill-based cottage industry must survive. In the beginning of the 20th century, the French, clever as they were, they didn't want to have cowries as taxes, so they got strip cloths. And they still take all the cotton out of Burkina Faso with the Americans, the Swiss, the Italians, and the Dutch. Um, to be sent to Bangladesh and India and China to be processed into two t-shirts for the price of one. So that was that. They still had horses. Now they don't even have donkeys anymore. This is entirely woven out of the hat. To please me, they wove the history of cotton growing, never been done before, in strip cloths. And cards, that's a cotton plant. That is the lady who cards, the lady who spins. And then when I said to one of our weavers, you have to develop a logo. He said, I can't draw. I mean, it had to be translated. I said, Daddy, you have to find something. So he sat down and wove himself. And it's the first, well, I can't do it. You know, it's not my problem that we were so late. I'm trying to rush it anyhow. Um, this is a technical masterpiece, five kilos, uh, portable, goes everywhere. This is where we started 2006. This is the Tussi Village Haute Couture, 100%. In 2009, we did the first ever Haute Couture collection, entirely made out of village-grown cotton, entirely made by hand, and entirely made and designed by Africans, including children's wear. Uh, to see it can be modernized, this is the Equipe who did it. So development from within is, yeah, agriculture, started, that's how we did it in the, when I was a child, that's how we made the lines. We bought organically certified cotton, since then we rotated. People do it themselves, that's the whole family works. First cotton grown in fields that hadn't seen any cotton for five, six years. 
from field using crushed neem as organic thing, attended by hand, a record harvest in Napagé in 2008, a traditional crop, the white gold of West Africa, and that's how it looks when it's not commercially grown. So processing, this is how it's being cleaned. The seeds are also used for cooking oil. They now think it's an immune boost against AIDS, and uh, the rest is replanted. Very fast, spinning, watching a master spinner, our upper term, we have people coming back now, we are doing an apprenticeship scheme. A hundred, one kilo of cotton yarn hand spun is 124 hours of time. <coughs> so this is the loom, unbelievable attention to detail, very hard physical work. We always have, for people who get ill, a little credit possibility, moving arms, long year of practice, reviving a communal activity, Walls of strip cloths can be more than 100 meters long, very simple. The training and demonstration center, we have formed collectives, cooperatives, where women are fully registered in both villages. This is the first ever calibrated yarn, hand-spun, hand-grown yarn of West Africa, so we can now deliver medium, fine, and strong to people like Nicole Fari. Um The weaving, this is our training center, a potential world heritage. We've done an assessment. It's the mythology of weaving converges there. The SR Save Our Skills. Um, is we are financing this ourselves, by the way. I don't have money for this. So my family and I earn money to do this because we do want to be independent of reports. Um, African Architect did this. The building of the center, the village did it itself. with local materials. I had to cave in for the roof. I wanted thatch. It didn't work. So. Um, there are already 10 weavers are sitting there where they would normally sit. The loom is anchored in the soil. This is the upper term for the women. It's like a crash. They breastfeed the babies. They sit there. They, it's, it's a gossip point, newspaper, and they spin. That's what they do. We even have for the young students, we have toilets. Then we rented a museum building, which is a rubbish dump, 25 millions from the uh, Luxembourgians to build a museum complex. Africans don't have museums. So we rented one, and this is the first ever exhibition of traditional hand loom weaving in West Africa, in Africa and West Africa. It's open, it's free to the audience, and we even now have school classes voluntarily going, and that is, I think, a big, big compliment. The invitation, we launched SOS. This is how it looks. It's all done with local materials, save for the uh, vinyls. Very simple, very easy to maintain. Um, then we went to New York to did the SOS Dan Fani to try the marketing for the first time, how it worked. It's like a cotton ball. The exhibition, the first market entries, African Dreams with all the makers listed and all the names listed. Um, again, he, w he showed in New York. Then in Frankfurt, they gave us this wonderful stand where the whole story of cotton is on a monitor. Um, products, again, just to see how they would, the market would respond. Very difficult, people don't understand what handwoven is, so I now realize I have to say it's handwoven, handwoven all the time. The textiles, holistic, sustainable, organic by default, socially inclusive, evolving, trading up, from traditional skill to skilled innovation, that part of the haute couture, we did some uh, photos for the models who also double up as escorts, to luxury brands, we developed the brands, uh, this is machine spun, everything else was hand spun. 
from past to present, cultural identity, intellectual property. This is, I've got it here, this is the sacred kaiman of the sacred animals that goes with a book that explains in French and English what nature conservation was in Africa. And um, we work with the Massadambula to um, go into further development and how to do it, trademarks, a child's hand, 12 year old, developed it himself for future generations to see village, it's in gold and beige, like a Chanel label. That's the machine spun one. <laughs> when I see that these people are then asked to make these beaded things, which you saw, or these elephants, just look at the clothes. How many designs are in there? How much can anyone do from bangles to whatever was what these people are wearing? So why bring some of our rubbishy ideas which degrade cultural heritage to Africa? That was it, folks.